Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 13th, 2020. No, it's not Friday. It kind of feels like I wish it was. Uh, October 13th, 2020, episode number 454. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. Just want to uh, apologize. Last week I was on a rant and I went way over my time, but, uh, uh, you know, it happens. And I'm going to try to wrap up that uh, conversation or that argument, I guess. It's not really a conversation when it's one person talking uh, about Ouija boards, maybe Ouija boards too, uh, tonight. And uh, hopefully I can get to the book of the week that I was kind of uh, teasing you about a little bit. Uh, but we've got uh, a slew of news tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about Bigfoot, large cats, uh, water creatures. I mean, I, well, yeah, maybe the Loch Ness Monster. I don't want to say that because I know people, some people get antsy and they just say, well, I'm going to bed. I don't want to hear about the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but we've got a creature here in the United States that feels neglected. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some of the stirring of the uh, UFOs, or am I allowed to say that anymore? Is it just UAPs? Uh, a lot of stories hitting the airwaves this week about UFOs, UAPs, whatever you want to call them, I guess. And uh, if uh, who's going to look into these things? We'll find out about that as well. And maybe we'll finish my Ouija board argument. Uh, so last night, I was uh, right here behind the mic. Uh, it was unusual because it was a Monday night. Not used to that. Haven't done that in a long time. Used to do that way, way back. Uh, I had a Monday night show. But uh, I was here behind the mic, and I was broadcasting, talking about some of my casework that I did in the ghost field many, many years ago. And it was uh, live via the Westerville Public Library. So I want to thank them for having me on. It was my 12th consecutive year doing a Halloween program for the Westerville Public Library. So it was a lot of fun, even though I was not live. Uh, so I technically have not visited there 12 years in a row. But I suppose presenting is the, the word I'll have to use uh, going forward if I do present there next year, which would make it number 13, which would be really creepy. I'll have to do it on a Friday, I suppose. I usually don't, though. Um, so it's called Cases and Places Behind the Veil of Ghost Investigation. And uh, I, I don't think that it was recorded. I don't remember seeing any kind of record button. Um, I was kind of, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of burned out after... Uh, doing 10 hours worth of work uh, producing a Zoom class session for a fellow facilitator at work all day long. So sitting behind a computer doing all that and sharing slides and chatting with people in the classroom. I just kind of got a little burned out with it, to be honest. So I don't know. It was uh, it was fun and it was very interesting to do a virtual 
class with uh, ghosts. Not used to doing that. Usually I'm used to doing other technical things uh, as well as doing a PowerPoint presentation at the same time. So it was a lot of fun. And it's it's always great to give back to public libraries, especially now with uh, COVID where everyone's struggling, but libraries uh, are also very hard hit with everything. And they're doing the best they can to reach out to the general public and let them know, hey, we're still here. Uh, so again, I want to thank the Westerville Public Library for having me back and allowing me to do a presentation virtually from the comfort of my own home. Uh, so I had a, a paranormal investigation team for about 15 years or so. And back in 2015, I kind of hung up my acronym. I said, you know what, uh, the, the, the way the team is going, I, I really just, they wanted to do something different than what I wanted to do. My heart wasn't in the place that I wanted it to be as far as investigating and, and trying to raise money to go to ghost hunts. It's not what I wanted to do. It's what they wanted to do. So uh, I felt it best. Uh, they were all wanting to start their own group. So I, I did what I thought was the right thing to do. And I just shut the group down and let them go do what they wanted to do. And I really missed it for the longest time. And I did uh, sneak out with some other groups. And uh, every now and again, I'm invited out to go to a ghost hunt with somebody and uh, still get cases every now and again, but I, I don't go out and investigate. I just uh, try to give the best uh, advice I can. I guess it's all I can really do because, uh, yeah, cases have changed. It's not the same to do a client-centered case as what it was five or even you know ten years ago. Ever since TV shows have come on about 16 years ago, around 2004, it's, it's been a lot different than what it is now. The clients have certain expectations of what you're supposed to do. And they're way, way more um, convinced that everything is a ghost than what it was years ago. Years ago, you could talk to somebody and, and talk them off the ledge of thinking a ghost was, was there. But now uh, people will just say, well, you don't believe me? I'll just go get another ghost team. Uh, so that culture has changed and it's not really favorable for those of us who uh, try to walk the line of not believing everything and trying to offer some skepticism, but try to be open-minded at the same time. But, uh, yeah, I, I do every now and again. But I'm not, I'm not saying I've retired from ghost investigation. Who knows? Maybe maybe there's a, another group down the road that's going to be uh, popping up sometime soon. Who knows? You never know. Um, I don't know. I got my hands full of the show. So, but I've been doing, I guess I was doing the show when I was still investigating. So who knows? Anyway, let's go to news because that's what you came here for. I didn't hear, come here to listen to my uh, personal woes and my past history of ghost investigation. Um, but it's, you know, not investigating has allowed me to write some books. Although I'm, you know, I was talking about that last night as well. I've, it's been a couple of years since I published anything. And you're only relevant if you're churning out new stuff as far as being a writer is concerned. Otherwise, uh, you just get tossed under the bed with, with all the other socks and dirty underwear. So, yes, Cryptid News tonight brought to you by nobody, I guess. Um, so you may have noticed 
I don't know. I, I've kind of noticed. I noticed today when I came home from work, uh, I left uh, my office window open because last night I got awful stuffy in here. Uh, I guess I was very long-winded or a lot of heat coming out. I don't know. Uh, but it was really warm in here, so I left a little, the window cracked a little bit. And boy, did I pay for that. I walk in here, and it was like 65 degrees in here. So I can tell it's getting a little chilly. It got down in the 40s here in northeast Ohio last night. So, yeah, it's getting colder. And you may have noticed the days are also getting shorter. Gets lighter later, darker earlier. I don't like that. It's really, really annoying. Uh, the leaves are starting to change color, and they're piling up in the backyard. And the trees will soon be barren. So, yes, um, birds are gone, and things are changing. A lot of animals are, are on the move, basically. And I've read a, a, about some research that claims that Sasquatch in Western Canada, uh, they also move around. They move from the mountains down to the plains. They move north and south. Um, I don't know if they have exact migration routes, but they do migrate, according to some researchers. And I've also read the same thing about the skunk ape down there in Florida. I think they wear sunglasses and hats down there. Probably a lot of uh, sunscreen as well. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there's somebody that's researching. We've got skunk ape and, and uh, Sasquatch. So I'm sure somebody's suggesting that Bigfoot does the same as well. I've not really heard too much about that. And uh, even being here in Ohio, being uh, one of the Bigfoot capitals, if uh, you, you want to believe that argument, uh, I think we're always arguing over, I think it's us in Texas or Oklahoma as being one of the top five states, but yeah, Bigfoot uh, and Sasquatch, really no different. It's just really the region where they're found. So Bigfoot doesn't live out west. It's uh, Sasquatch. It's the same thing. It's just what people refer to it as. It's all regional stuff. Skunk ape is pretty much the same as Bigfoot, same as skunk ape. It's really, well, I shouldn't say that's the same thing. It's it's regional, plus there's a little bit of differences uh, as far as the makeup, uh, behavior, uh, reports. So skunk ape is, smells a little different than your typical everyday Bigfoot. And I guess your Sasquatch, I don't know. I don't know what the difference between Sasquatch and Bigfoot are, but you know, you have a lot of regional names for Bigfoot, like Momo the monster and the Falk monster. Uh, those of which are a little different because they have three toes. Uh, but you also have you know, different regional names for all these things. But one place that they don't have a regional name for Bigfoot, I don't know, they're just not clever enough, is Great Britain. So I wonder, does Great Britain and their Bigfoot, do they migrate? Who am I going to ask for that question? Uh, well, let me find out from UK Bigfoot researcher Deborah Hatswell. Well, she's actually connected the dots on statements made by those who have had sightings and noticed a pattern of migration. Uh, she says, quote, if you start to plot the sightings on the map like I did, I was trying to find out if there was a migratory pattern with the seasons changing. They tend to follow the mountain ranges. And as you get further towards Scotland, there's an area called Northumberland. And it lies right on the border with Scotland. And it's got an ideal habitat. We have almost 
route plotted the they follow the mountains, the river and the mountains, and they think they cross the border. Unquote. I only read what they print when it's quoting. I read it exactly how it is. Uh, she speculates that Bigfoot move from the north to the south as the weather changes and then move back as food becomes available. She states that settings have been down this year due to COVID-19, not because uh, they're practicing social distancing, but because other people, humans, are practicing social distancing and not really going out into the public. Uh, but there's still Bigfoot sightings being reported. I think there was one just a couple of weeks ago, actually, in the United Kingdom. Uh, the UK isn't somewhere I normally think of Bigfoot sightings, but they have been documented there for some time. It's not really your hotbed. You know, you might think of uh, the Yaren or the Yeti um, way before that you think of, again, because they have cool names. They have regional names. So... Yeah, maybe if the UK came up with their own name for these guys. Granted, they do. They have some regional, small regional names. But as a whole, I don't know. Maybe they would have better luck. With, uh, maybe they could sell T-shirts and, and dolls like the Loch Ness Monster. You got to learn from Scotland. Uh, Great Britain's got to do something. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how much I believe in that. But uh, I... I not every animal migrates, so who knows? Uh, I don't know, but uh, wouldn't mind trying to find out someday. But surprised they don't uh, have camera trails on these mountains. If you're sure it's a, a certain area, certain mountains, uh, get some trail camps. It's Amazon Prime Week here, uh, so maybe buy a couple. But anyway, that's not all that's creeping around the woods in the United Kingdom. No, sir, sir. We talked about these guy, these guys, uh, quite a bit here on the show over the last, oh, I don't know, thirteen years or so. And uh, you better know your ABCs if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Rhoda Watkins of Cornwall claims that not only are there big cats, I like big cats, and I cannot lie, in the woods of the UK, including leopards and pumas, not the shoes. Uh, but they are breeding, and the populations are absolutely booming. Not my words. Those are her words. Even though I didn't quote it, she did say booming. Uh, the 42-year-old states that she has gathered enough evidence to be certain that these creatures are not only in the country, but they are breeding and maintaining healthy populations. Uh, Miss Watkins learned from the San Bushman of Namibia no, it's not Nambia. It's Namibia, uh, who are known to be the best trackers in the world. She's also part of the feature-length documentary that I've talked about here on the show previously called the uh, Britain's Big Cat Mystery. I really want to see that. Uh, that seeks to expose the fact that there are definitely large predatory cats alive and well and breeding, apparently, in the United Kingdom. Well, they'd have to be breeding, and we'll talk about that here in a second as to why. So let's ask the big million dollar question. Or is it the million pound question? How much is a million dollars in pounds? I don't know. Uh, has she seen any large cats herself? Well, the answer to that is no, not in the United Kingdom, but she has found carcasses that she feels 
could not have been the work of domestic cats or dogs. Uh, they do have wild cats in the United Kingdom, and they're not very big. They're a little bit bigger than uh, your little house cat, but yeah, not like a leopard or anything like that. Uh, so not domestic cats or dogs, and she's also talked to plenty of credible witnesses, and I used air quotes there, credible witnesses. Uh, she says that uh, they, they are credible. Okay. Uh, she did grow up in South Africa around lions, and she did study zoology. So there, you know, it could be more than just a hunch, but, you know, the more I read about her history uh, growing up in South Africa and studying uh, how to be a tracker, which is great. It's very valuable information, um, different landscapes, but uh, similar creatures, you know, if you're talking about cheetahs maybe or lions. Uh, but I, I guess big cats are big cats. They pretty much kind of act very similar. Granted, pumas are a lot different than leopards or jaguars and in, in how they take care of their carcass. But I'm sure she knows that. I'm sure she studied these things. Um, but I, I don't know, part of me thinks maybe it's a wishful thinking that she's grown up around these cats and she's heard these stories and she really wants to believe in UFOs. No, not in UFOs. She wants to believe that there are big cats. Yes, alien big cats. That's what we call ABCs, but not, they're not from outer space. No, they're just, they're not supposed to be there. Um, so I don't know, maybe I kind of wish she was right. I, I wish all these things were right. I'd love to find out that these wild cats are breeding, but then part of me says maybe not. I mean, what would happen if these cats are discovered? Right, let me spell it out for you. So if there are large cats on, in the loose, in the loose or on the loose, I guess in the wind, on the loose, uh, in the United Kingdom, they're more than likely due to the laws that were enacted about owning exotic animals like big cats, uh, which was enacted in the 1970s. So uh, prior to, I forget what year it was, 1977, I think it was, or was that Star Wars? I forget. So much happened in the 70s, man. I can't remember anything. It's like uh, a lot of smoke and stuff. Granted, I was a kid. But uh, prior to this law, it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary to walking down the street in London and seeing some guy walking around with a, a cheetah or a lion, full-grown lion on a chain, wearing sunglasses. No, the guy wearing sunglasses, not the cat. But, yeah, I, it's kind of weird. It was different times. Uh, it was a status symbol. You know, nowadays people own um, fancy cars, I guess. I don't know. What else do we own? Cool clothes. You know, cool hairdo. I don't know. But uh, back then, you had to own a big cat, I suppose. Uh, so after these laws were enacted, uh, people kind of didn't know what to do with it. What do you do? I mean, uh, a, a nice car, an exotic car, you can sell. Put it on eBay. Um, uh, Facebook, I guess. You can sell it on Facebook, which is really weird. Um, but what do you do with a big cat? I, I guess you could put a, an ad in the paper. They, you know, they did read newspapers back then. Um, in the 70s was before the internet, by the way. I don't know if, well, I mean the World Wide Web, I should say, to be more precise. So what did they do? Well, they essentially just uh, opened the door 
and uh, let them run around the countryside. So that's the hypothesis here that a lot of people let these cats loose and thinking that lots of these cats met up, they hung out, and uh, they were able to breed. And they found uh, the, uh, the, uh, the other cat that could create a couple, without getting too graphic here, uh, that could create little kittens in the wild. Uh, so you'd have to have, obviously, two types of leopards. Uh, you know what always cracks me up? You see pictures of Noah's Ark and you see two male lions. It's just kind of weird. Um, so you'd have to have a male and a female. They'd have to find each other and they'd have to uh, like each other. And they would have to breed. But even then, one breeding couple isn't enough to have long-lasting animals like this. Uh, you know, 40 years of inbreeding would uh, end any sort of small population of, of any cat. You know, unfortunately, we're seeing this example in southern Florida right now with the uh, Florida panthers that are inbreeding, and they have uh, fairly decent numbers down there, but the inbreeding has caused a, a lot of problems uh, with these cats. So we'd have to be seeing that down up there, but uh, over there somewhere. And my biggest argument against all this is, you know, here in the United States, we've had large cats that have traveled all the way from the Black Hills of South Dakota, all the way across the United States, just to get hit by a car 3,000 miles away. And we're not seeing these carcasses of big cats in the United Kingdom. You'd think that in the span of 40 years, we'd find, you know, at least one dead cat laying on the side of the road. That's, uh, you know, a leopard, jaguar, something young that they could validate was raised in the wild. You know, even in Africa, they get hit by cars. So it's it's not like this uh, these things could escape without detection completely. Uh, so yeah, these animals more than likely set free. So they're not. I guess you couldn't call them true cryptids, but I, I still enjoy talking about it. I think it's a it's a big mystery, and it's a big debate over the United Kingdom. And if they are discovered to be breeding in the wild, officials could view them as an invasive or obviously potentially dangerous. Well, obviously it would be more than potentially. They are dangerous species. And you wonder what comes next. Uh, so I don't know. But I'd still like to see this uh, Britain's Big big Cat Mystery documentary. I think it would be really, really interesting to uh, check that out. So yes, from there, jolly old England, well, home of the Loch Ness Monster, there is no Loch Ness Monster news this week. I, I fooled you. No Loch Ness Monster news this week. But I, now I jinx myself because next week we'll probably have four stories on the Loch Ness Monster. But here in the United States, the Loch Ness Monster's American cousin, she's feeling no love. So a challenge has been tossed out. Yes, a champ challenge has been created to get people to be on the lookout for the elusive Lake Champlain monster that uh, doesn't get very much media attention uh, pretty much at all anymore. It doesn't seem like yeah, every now and again there's a, a small story. doesn't really break the surface, pun intended. Boy, this humor is drier than, well, not Loch Ness. Uh, but hundreds of sightings have taken place through the years 
in the Lake Champlain area, which is uh, Lake Champlain is about 125 miles long and about 400 feet deep at its deepest. I tried to dive to the bottom. I only got about 12 feet down. And it's situated in northeastern New York and is shared with the state of Vermont to the east. And the northern tip extends into the province of Quebec in Canada. It's big. It's a big lake. Uh, Champ has been described as being anywhere from, well, 10 to 150 feet long. It's pretty, pretty much uh, runs the gamut there. Uh, and some say Champ has humps. And some say it's described as a large snake. And some have even described it with a horse head. While others reported horns or antlers. According to the LakeChamplainRegion.com website. And I think a lot of those. This is just personal opinion here. Uh, when you see it with a horse head or horns or antlers, probably a deer swimming across the lake. I've seen that a few times, and it's really weird when you first see it, trying to figure out what you're looking at, because you're not used to seeing deer swimming, but they occasionally will be in the water, and they, they can. They can do it. They do the deer paddle, I guess. It's really a doggy paddle, but they're deer. They kind of look like dogs, I suppose. Uh, so through the years, the best proof gathered comes in the form of a photograph taken in July of 1977 by Sandra Mancy. And if you've never seen this, uh, you've seen it. You think you haven't seen it, but you have seen it. It's, it's pretty much one of the standard Lake Monster photos you've, you've probably seen over the years. Uh, some people have actually mistaken this for the Loch Ness Monster on occasion. I've seen it attributed to the Loch Ness Monster, I should say, in some uh, magazines and websites. So here's a picture of the Lake Champlain Monster. Champ. There it is. So in the photo, you can see what appears to be the head and neck rising out of the lake with part of the body visible uh, also out of the water, like a hump. Or it could be a snake. I don't know. Uh, could be a log. It's definitely not a deer. I'll give you that one. Um, people are still looking for Champ, but with all the attention that the Loch Ness Monster has received lately, the folks at Port Henry, New York, are hoping that people will, will turn out and look for Champ. So there's the Champ challenge. It's been tossed down. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Take pictures, uh, take a bucket of water, Wait, we've already done that, haven't we? I don't know what you're supposed to do, uh, but they're just challenging people to come out there and check out Lake Champlain. You got to get T-shirts. That's all I'm saying. T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. It sells everything. Uh, bumper stickers are 1970s. We don't do that anymore. It's all about the T-shirts. Uh, get Champ on a shirt. And you got to sponsor like a local baseball team. And, you know, in this photograph is uh, highly debated. It's, it's described as, uh, it was described as genuine back in 1977. Uh, no, uh, it was taken by a, what, a Kodak. I don't know if it was an Insta, Instamatic or Instamax. I forget what the actual brand of, or type of Kodak it was, but uh, very hard to do anything with those kind of photos back in that time frame. So, yeah, but unfortunately, she destroyed the negatives, so there's no validation of it. 
And she, she claimed that, you know, nobody keeps negatives and there's no use for them. Well, I still have all my negatives from pictures I took. Not really in the 70s, but, the, you know, the 80s and early 90s before these newfangled technology uh, digital cameras came out. But who's to say? Uh, she sticks by her story, uh, which does slightly change over time, but she still sticks by it. Um, actually, this photo is cropped. Uh, if the full photo, you actually see shrubbery in the foreground, so you can, you can tell she's actually on a beach on the side of the lake. And what's even weirder is she has no clue where she took the photograph. So I don't know. The more you dig into this, it looks legit, but the more you dig into the story, the story is very, very shaky. Uh, although she is still a, I guess you call her a minor local celebrity, uh, due to this photograph, but uh, there's a lot of shaky information behind the the actual story of the photo um, of Champ by Sandra Mancy back in 1977. Um, I'd have to find a, a bigger picture, but if you see the actual picture, um, you can, like I said, you can see uh, like. Uh, uh, like bushes and stuff in the front of it. Let me try to find another picture here. Yeah, it's weird though. She has no clue. Oh, here it is. That's a small one. Jeez. I gotta make one bigger. Oh, here you go. Here's a bigger one. So I'll share a different uh, version of that here in chat. So you can see what I'm talking about. Um, a lot of different versions of this picture. I'm not sure why, but uh, people like to crop things and that's, the problem when, like, when you looked at the um, surgeon's photograph of the Loch Ness monster, it kind of cut out some detail that would have been a little bit more telltale that it was uh, a fake, which it was a fake. So here, you click on that photo in chat, you can see it's you, it'll blow up a little bit more. I think not much, eh, not much. Yeah, never mind. Uh, but you can see there's uh, little trees there in the foreground. Not saying that uh, you know could have been staged. Uh, but it looks like it's actually in shallow water the way the waves are. But that's just me. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Got to love our lake monsters. It's, I think it's, well, we supposedly have one here in Ohio. But Champ is probably the closest major lake monster to where I live. Well, except Bessie up there in Lake Lake Erie. I guess she's... Uh, She's pretty pretty similar there. Yeah, it's the same picture, just cropped. Uh, so that's your cryptid news for October thirteenth, and we're gonna go into UFO news. A lot of controversial stuff in UFOs. I mean, this is the year of UFOs. Twenty twenty. Forget this COVID stuff that people are talking about. Twenty twenty is the year of UFOs. Uh, like I've said off and on. Throughout this year, I don't know when exactly this really started to happen, but it's really weird when you're sitting there watching TV and you hear them talking about UFOs and people are arguing on CNN about UFOs and information and technology and government knowledge. And it's they're actually taking it seriously. And I'm the one laughing now because it's so weird to see this actually being uh, a point where people are actually arguing about these things, and they they truly believe now 
that something's going on or something's being covered up. And, you know, three, five years ago, you know, you'd have the X-Files theme on and people would be running around the studio laughing and making fun of each other for talking about it. But, uh, yeah, really interesting turn of events over the last few years on the UFO front. And last week I mentioned the debut of the documentary, The Phenomenon. I was kind of hoping there would be some big stories talking about this or there would be some stirring feelings or government officials would come forward and, and talk about all this stuff. Um, not so much. Not so much. Um, and uh, this documentary, if you've not seen it yet, it's uh, on demand only. It's not in theaters so don't uh, try to get your tickets for it. Uh, talked about several decades of UFO information. And of course, we all knew there would be a lot of cover-ups and disclosure discussed about this. Uh, one interview in the documentary that made uh, a little bit of headlines uh, in the days after the show uh, made its debut. It actually comes from a clip of the documentary that was uh, put on YouTube for the official The Phenomena uh, YouTube channel. Uh, so on YouTube, there's an interview between former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and the director of the film, James Fox. Uh, so Reid mentions details of a report in 1967 that states an object appeared over a U.S. missile base, and at the same time, 10 missiles on that base uh, suddenly became inoperative. And these would be a uh, warhead type things of the uh, nuclear type missiles um, became inoperative. So if the president wanted to push the, uh, I don't know if that's true. Does it, is it just a giant red button? Gosh, I hope not. It's awful tempting to want to push that giant red button. Um, if the president wanted to push that red button, if it did exist, uh, to launch these missiles, he couldn't do it at the time. They were inoperative. Thank goodness we didn't go to war at like 2 in the morning in 1967. Uh, so Reed also not only suggests, but clearly states that the United States government is covering up information about unidentified flying objects. Uh, in this clip and apparently in the documentary, he says, quote, why the federal government all these years has covered up, put brake pads on everything, stopped it. I think it's very, very bad for our country. Unquote. Uh, he was then asked for clarification by Fox, who asked, quote, are you saying there's some evidence that still hasn't seen the light of day? Unquote. Uh, Reed quickly replied, quote, I'm saying most of it hasn't seen the light of day. Unquote. Cue the dramatic music and cut away. That's pretty much what happened. Uh, I still haven't seen the documentary, so I can't really speak on it yet. Uh, I haven't had the time. I had to finish watching uh, The Boys last week. Um, I don't know. Uh, I still want to see it, but I know it's mostly archive footage, and they do talk about some of the, the, the three new videos that popped up, and I don't think I want to see any Blink-82 stuff, personally. Um, I don't think there's anything new. I just think it's just the way they put it together. Um, but according to the Internet Movie Database, it scored an 8 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes, well, they didn't have anything last week, but it's uh, at an 83% on the tomato meter. 
although that's only six ratings. So we'll have to see. It could it could drop because you know obviously the believers rushed out and and watched this right away and are offering their um, their feedback on this. Uh, also, an eighty percent audience score. And again, that's not a whole lot of ratings. There's only 15 ratings, but still it's pretty positive. Uh, 83% is is pretty good as far as I'm concerned. So it uh, definitely makes me a little bit more interested in, in seeing this. Uh, it's still, yeah, 15 bucks to drop on a little documentary of archival footage. I don't know. It's not like this documentary was created to convince anybody that UFOs are real. I think a lot of people are thinking this that maybe are not part of the UFO culture or UFO researchers. They, they're thinking that this documentary was churned out to get people to watch, to uh, persuade people that UFOs are definitely real. Like I said, this is all archive footage and it's uh, some new interviews and it, it just kind of pushes the boundaries and, and focuses on – uh, really the debate as to whether the government knows more than what it's it's uh, said at this point. And basically, you can view it as one more brick in the path, hopefully potentially leading to disclosure. But uh, don't hold your breath. We've been talking about that for a long, long time. So we've heard a lot of politicians talk about uncovering information on UFOs over the years uh, people running for president, people running for different offices. We've heard mayors, we've heard governors, uh, s- former Senate majority leaders, all types of people. Um, yeah, everyone gets excited, especially the higher up on the ladder you go. Uh, people get a lot more excited when they comment on that topic. And you know, one would have to wonder, well, it doesn't get any bigger than the president of the United States. I mean, we have all the information, right? Possibly from the Book of Secrets. Why? I saw those movies. He's got the Book of Secrets right there in the library. Um, well, you know, maybe he's briefed on these topics early on in the presidency. You know, they pull him aside and say, "Okay, look, here's here's what we here's what we got. Here's Roswell. Uh, here's Area 51. Here's the aliens that we got. Uh, some pictures we took with him at a party." But no, it seems like every president, either they're good actors, well, some of them were actors, I suppose, or they're good liars. Wait, they're politicians. Of course they're good liars. Yeah, I guess we'll never know if they're really telling the truth if they know or not. Sheesh. Uh, So when asked, which he was asked on live TV, if there were UFOs during an interview on Fox, I think it was, what was it, on Sunday? This weekend, last weekend. So the president stated, and he says, and I quote, well, I'm going to have to check on that. Unquote. Probably the most decisive answer that President Trump has offered us on UFOs uh, so far. I'd have to say. Uh, So the question was prefaced with information regarding the Department of Defense's announcement that the Pentagon launched a task force to investigate sightings on unidentified flying objects. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So the task force called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. It'd be kind of cool if it was a UFO task force. 
well, eventually we all get used to UAP and we won't even say UFO anymore. Uh, so he finished, President Trump finished by stating, quote, I mean, I've heard that. I heard the two days ago. So I'll check on that. And I'll take a good, strong look at that. Unquote. Sounds convincing. Sounds convincing. Uh, he went on to uh, talk about how strong the U.S. military was and how other countries are envious. You know, and all that long-winded stuff about the, the military. I, I was kind of surprised that uh, people didn't start speculating that, um, you know, stirring up some controversy and some conspiracy theories that the government was uh, going to war with aliens because we're talking about our our scary and strong and big military that we have. But I, I guess I shouldn't give anybody any ideas. And it's, you know, it shouldn't come as a big surprise. Anybody who's been following the, uh, the UFO exploits part of President Trump over the years, uh, he's not a really big believer in UFOs. Uh, he's pretty much a skeptic. He's really dismissive of the topic. Uh, so I don't think he's going to take too deep of a look into it. Don't, Get your hopes up. I don't think he's going to release anything. Um, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to wedge any wage any bets on that at all. It, it's not likely. Ah, boy. Yeah, we've got uh, we got it coming up here. It's almost November. We've got uh, three weeks away till the end of the. Oh wait, till um, election day. So the end of the world. Well, maybe it will be. Who knows? So let's see. Well, that's your UFO news. And uh, yeah, definitely. I want to uh, throw this out there. Yeah. Jim Mallard of the Mallard Report. I want to welcome him to the chat room. So check out Mallard.com after the show, 9 o'clock Eastern. Mallard.com. Great show. Always a great show. I have to tell him I miss it because I'm doing stuff on this show. And I'm happy that he popped in tonight to uh, say howdy and listen in. Hopefully get some good, maybe some good topics. I don't know. He's always got a great show lined up. He always seems like he's winging it, but you, you can tell he knows what he's doing. It's a really good show. Sometimes I wing it too. You wouldn't know because I'm just kind of talking about nothing right now, right? Anyway, no, I want to finish. Uh, last week I was talking... Uh, about Ouija boards. I know, I know. Some of you say Ouija. It just sounds weird. I can't say Ouija. It just sounds just odd to me. Uh, so I was talking about a story that came out uh, about this uh, guy, Paul Masters, who is a member of the True Paranormal Events UK group that specializes in uh, on ghost tours. And he was gobsmacked. I don't know if that's a, is that a swear word in the United Kingdom? Gosh, I hope not. I've said that like a hundred times. He was gobsmacked that Ouija boards were actually for sale at Poundland. Poundland sounds weird. Poundland is basically a British variety store chain. Uh, it's like kind of like a dollar store, I guess. Would you call it a pound store? I guess that is like. Poundland, so it'd be like dollar land here, suppose. U.S. dollar land. Uh, so yeah, Ouija boards for sale at a dollar store. 
We got dollar stores here. We had, uh, I think I told the story last week, Five Below, which is a store that sells things for $5 and below, uh, had uh, mugs on sale. It was a Ouija board mugs. Man, I really wanted one. I took a picture of it and put it online, and people were bragging about buying it. I never bought one. I keep looking. They'd probably be out of them by now if they did have them. Maybe I'll check online. Hmm. Am I talking to myself? I think I am. Anyway, yeah, Ouija boards. Uh, he was upset, gobsmacked, and uh, apparently a lot of other paranormal investigators were also upset at the fact that this uh, store was selling them. How dare you? Uh, so he feels that only a trained medium should handle a Ouija board, and if somebody else handles it, they can easily release deadly demons. Yeah, not your 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 dollar store type of demon, but your deadly demon. And uh, he says they're not really a toy. They shouldn't be available to kids in pound shops, uh, let alone kids or adults for that matter. And uh, he gets kind of goes on a rant about Zeus. I know people still believed in Zeus. Um, he says, uh, all hell could break loose if the demon attaches itself to anyone and follow them around. Nasty spirits can scratch and attack people and should not be messed with, as people could get seriously hurt. So I was gobsmacked when I saw that Poundland were selling Ouija boards and was profoundly shocked and just fuming, really, unquote. Um, so, yeah, the article says that it, it's... Uh, these things destroy people's lives. At uh, paranormal community is all upset about this. I don't know. I mean, they, you you go on Walmart.com. They sell Ouija boards all year round, not just for Halloween. So I, I don't know why people. I got Walmart over there, right? I think it's called ASDA. But uh, yeah, you get them on Amazon too. Again, it's Amazon Prime days. So I, I'm sure. I just don't understand why people aren't protesting Amazon then. Uh, so a spokesman for Poundland stated the boards were marked as for adults only and they were blocked at the register. So kids couldn't uh, buy them unless they had fake IDs, I guess. Uh, and the boards were sold as part of Halloween decor in only 90 of the 800 stores. So, yeah, so people are, are freaked out about Ouija boards. And... Y y <laughs> I always like to talk about Ouija boards because there is no center argument on these things. People are either completely afraid or completely uh, believing the the uh, having the fear that they uh, they open portals that only trained people can can uh, can shut, and they summon demons and nobody can control it. It's uh, Ouija boards at the beginning of the end of the earth, and that these magical powers and they can turn cats into dogs and can make rain into razor blades. I don't know what else they believe. I'm just making that up. But uh, they, they give these magical powers to these boards. And it sounds pretty convincing because I know a friend of a friend whose cousin's uh, third sister on the corner of uh, Maple and Harriet Street that uh, knows a guy that lives on the other side of town that says he was possessed after using a Ouija board that he borrowed from his sister's cousin's uncle and their cat. Right, I know. But a lot of people have their own personal stories. I get it. Um, but there's no real history behind this. Uh, the Ouija board debate has been around for a long time. 
And I mentioned last week how uh, this was huge in the 1920s, even before that, 1890s, when it was kind of, it wasn't really invented back then, but it was it made popular, basically toward the end of the Civil War. It was time for um, you know, a lot of people. This is a big big time, you know, the Civil War and a lot of deaths and uh, you know mediums, psychics, the age of spiritualism. So people using divination tools more than ever, and it was just a thing you did back then, like turning on a radio or watching uh, Netflix. It's just something you did back then. Yes, I just compared a Ouija board to Netflix. Now let the lawsuit start. Um, no, it's just a popular thing to do. It's a popular pastime. It's actually a, a something you did on a date, a first date. Hey, let's use the Ouija board. Uh, but it was a way for people to talk to their family members that were dearly departed without having to go into town and pay a medium a sum of money to get a bunch of information. So we'd have to sit there and wait for a medium to be available to throw down some money uh, because it was pretty big business back in those times. Uh, so of course, also, you know, missing out, uh, the Catholic church went to bat over this too. Uh, the Catholic churches, a uh, Catholic church and other churches condemned the use of uh, any divination tool but since Ouija boards are very, very popular, one of the most popular types of divination tools, they focused on that. So that's why one of the reasons why there's such a big negative uh, kind of aspect to it. But it wasn't really a big deal. Nobody cared about Ouija boards. Nobody was dying. Nobody was being possessed. Uh, nobody was being taken over. Nothing bad was really happening until 1971 and 1973. When the uh, the movie The Exorcist was released as a book and uh, as a movie, respectively, 1971 and 73, uh, suddenly changed the perception of Ouija boards. Yes, a movie altered the culture of Ouija boards. Huge. Uh, it was like almost overnight where people were burning these in droves and the popularity was over, was gone. So what's there to believe? Is there fear in using a Ouija board? And I kind of started this argument last week. It talked about unconscious muscular action. So also known as the idiomotor effect, which was, has been known since 1850 uh, by a guy named Michael Faraday. They figured it out. Science knew about this. It was no big deal. That's why people didn't fear this stuff. They knew there was a science behind it, uh, but it was fun. And sometimes... Uh, you know, the news or the information coming from the Ouija board comes from our subconscious. So sometimes it spells out things that we don't really want to admit to other people. And sometimes it's just viewed as magical. And But again, it comes from our subconscious. It comes from uh, unconscious muscular action, which really isn't true. It's, you're not unconscious unless you got hit in the head with uh, a Ouija board. And you're unconscious. So it should really be subconscious muscular action, but I'm not going to argue. It's all semantics. Um, but yeah, there's nothing really magical about it. And all this hate and fear, uh, again, created by the Catholic Church, as well as believed because of movies. And it's weird because even today, hundreds, if not thousands of people continue to use divination tools with no fear whatsoever. 
uh, in the form of ghost hunting tools such as radio sweepers, random word generators, uh, Ovilus, um, I don't know all the names anymore, you, you kids and your weird ghost hunting tools, uh, EVP, uh, pendulums, crystals, um, divining rods. These are all divination tools. They're meant to connect with the spirit realm. The Ouija board, no different. You can you can say what you want about putting your hands on a planchet. You're putting your hands on uh, these tools the same way. Uh, just some of them have batteries, and, and the Ouija board doesn't. Although you could probably make an electronic version of the Ouija board. Wait, they do. It's called a K2 meter. Um, so yeah, asking a random ghost to light up an EMF detector, really no different than asking a spirit to spell something out using your fingers. You're not use it's not using your body. Um, I mean, who knows? You're holding a, an EMF detector. Maybe that energy is going through you into the, into the uh, EMF detector. Would have to. If it's a trimeter um, or tri-axis meter, would technically be going through your body. You can argue that. Um, but yeah, to me, I mean, when I hear people arguing uh, how a Ouija board is different than an EMF detector and they start getting all fume, foaming at the mouth at me, it's like, why are you arguing? Like, it's silly to argue semantics it's it's it is essentially at the base the same thing so if you're not fooled if you're not scared by one why are you fooled by the other it just doesn't make sense to me and yes it is cardboard it is plastic and it is flashing lights uh, so uh, in the end if you fear the Ouija board remember and a lot of people have said this even people who believe in uh, demons and all this stuff that come out of Ouija boards. It's really the board. Uh, I should say it's not the board. It's the user. So it's the people that use it, not the actual board. The board is just there. And we're just using it as a conduit for things. But it's it's not magical. And <clears throat> yes, uh, the Catholic Church doesn't like any kind of divination. It goes against uh, everything they stand for. So even mediums, psychics, Mediums, pendulums, all that. But again, the Ouija board was the biggest, uh, basically, contender. You know, people would rather use a, a Ouija board on Sunday afternoon after brunch than coming to church. So that leads me to <clears throat> my book of the week that uh, is a week late. Uh, but it's worth it. Now, this book, I, I wouldn't expect you to be able to find this. It took me a long, long time to, uh, I've actually used the Ouija board in the cemetery. I have. I've done that. I uh, used one on a bus once to freak somebody out. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't, never had any bad luck, never had anything happen. Anyway, book of the week this week. Uh, again, I don't expect you to be able to find this in your local bookstore. If you do, you're lucky. I've spent a long time tracking this book down. And I still spent a little bit too much money, but I didn't spend as much as what you'll see on the Amazon website. That's here. Um, and it's called Conjuring Up Philip, an adventure in psychokinesis. Yes, I actually own a copy and no, you cannot borrow it. Uh, so the, the uh, Conjuring Up Philip is about the Philip experiment that happened back in 1972 by the Toronto Society for Psychical Research. Um, gosh, I, I just, I had to have this book because I spent a lot of time, uh, researching 
the experiment, the TSPR uh, experiment, as well as uh, Colin Brooks Smith and Kenneth Batchelor and their work, which is uh, really the basis for the uh, TSPR experiment with Philip. They were the ones that uh, really started it all. So I spent a lot of time researching them. And a lot of people know about the Philip experiment, but I, I had to know the roots. So I studied uh, Colin Brooks Smith, uh, his adventure uh, in, uh, I forget what his, uh, the one thing is called, but it has all the rules for uh, psychokinesis, which created, basically was the, the baseline for Toronto Society for Psychical Research's uh, experiment with with uh, Philip. And if you don't know what the Philip experiment was, a lot of people are confused because I hear, I, I see a lot of people talk about this or hear a lot of people on podcasts and things, or I see a lot of blogs that people are under the impression that a bunch of people sitting around a table created a ghost and it was an actual ghost. No, that's actually exactly opposite of what happened. What well, was a bunch of people sitting around? Uh, but they created a fictional character named Philip who was given an entire backstory uh, basically where he lived and where he died, his name and different things. But the details were filled in by Philip himself through a series of rapping and table tipping sessions by a bunch of people sitting around a table. So yes, this wasn't really a ghost, but the collective psychokinetic activity of those in the room that created a mysterious connection to a fictional ghost. That's pretty much proving that people Living people can create ghost activity. And it's weird because, uh, you know, not only Bachelors and, and Colin Brooks Smith's work was unbelievable, uh, but the Toronto Society for Psychological Research's Philip experiment has basically gone untouched. People talk about it, but nobody replicates it. Nobody uh, digs into what made it work and try to make it any better. Now, I did way back when. When uh, I created the E4 method of client-based investigation, uh, I used the rules created by Colin Brooks Smith, uh, which it just came to me. The Manual of Advanced Psychokinetic Procedures is the name of the manual. Uh, came out in 1970. Still haven't got my hands on that, but I have enough information. I have enough information. Uh, I've got a lot of different uh, journals from the ASPR and the SPR where a lot of this information appears too. Uh, so I, I can get as much information as I can. So I use that as a basis for my E4 method uh, of client-centered investigation, which uses the client as a catalyst. Instead of a bunch of researchers walking around with the lights off, asking random questions, why not recreate what happened? And why not use the person who's at the center of the activity instead of a bunch of random people in black T-shirts with greased-up short hair? Um that's my thought, and that's only part of it. But uh, using the, and I'll tell you, if more ghost groups were to research this and use these rules for sitters that were created by Colin Brooks Smith, you, there'd be far more ghost activity reported. It's just amazing what it can do. It sets the tone. Granted, yes, it was used for psychokinesis, which is basically human-based uh, Activity, we're able to manipulate the environment with our mind, uh, like bending spoons, for example. Although it's maybe it's a bad example because that's usually fraudulent. Um, and uh, Smith also designed, Colin Brooks Smith also designed, among other things, a machine 
that was created to detect unconscious muscular action or the idiomotor effect. The same thing that powers Ouija boards. And last but not least, I was uh, about this book. One thing that really made me have to buy this thing, uh, I sank quite a bit of money into it. Not as much as, again, what you see on Amazon, which I'll, I'll you know, let me get that link in the chat room. So uh, it was 2017, I believe. Um, I was at a conference in Pennsylvania, and they had invited a woman who came into possession. Maybe that's not a right word came to own a, uh, a board used by the TSPR. And, uh, yeah, 2017, actually was able to touch it, take photographs of it. One of the uh, multiple tables, uh, it's like a little square cardboard table, blue one with little foldable legs, not very big. Uh, it was autographed on the on the bottom of it by some the uh, eight sitters that uh, normally used the table and it was uh, really cool. I mean, yeah, some people like uh, collect guitar picks or Pokemon cards. I guess. I don't know, but uh, for me, that was a, a thrilling moment to to see the table uh, used in the Philip experiment. So yes, this week's book of the week. I got a let me get a photograph of that book in there. Conjuring up Philip. An adventure in psychokinesis. Yes, actually, and on the front cover, it's funny. It's a dollar ninety-five. So that book there is similar. Mine's a little bit different on the top, but the rest of it all looks about the same. A little paperback book for a dollar ninety-five. It's going on uh, Amazon right now for a hundred and fifty dollars. Used. Used. Uh, mine's used, beat up, but I've still I've still been able to read it. Uh, but I'll never, I'll never give this puppy up. It's uh, a fantastic book that does outline the Toronto Society for Psychical Research's Philip experiment, and some of the, uh, again, some of the stuff that came before that, and really talks about this. And it, this, this is the kind of book that if somebody actually read that was really into ghosts, could really turn this into something that could alter the future of ghost investigations. So. That's your show tonight. Thank you for tuning in. I do appreciate everybody who uh, came into chat. And those of you who did not come to chat that still listen to the show, I guess I can appreciate you too. And I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, and the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. Keep your candy full for Halloween. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.